Concerning the economically unstable times that we live in, it is a great idea to convert some of your savings into real money. Now, there is a big difference between real money and what we call money, which is actually just currency. So our dollar is currency, which fluctuates. Real money, on the other hand, like silver, for example, is a store of value over time. The best way to think of it is like this. If you had saved $1,000 in cash back in the late 60s, the late 1960s, that $1,000 would still be $1,000 technically, but it would buy you significantly less today due to inflation. Now, if you had saved that same $1,000 in silver back in the 1960s, today it would be worth around $28,000. So one of the best ways to protect your purchasing power is in real money, more specifically silver. You can buy and have the metal shipped discreetly to your door, and what most people don't know is that you can actually convert your IRA or even a 401k into physical silver rather than having all of your life savings tied up in the paper fiat system, which is subject to hyperinflation. Go to dailyrenegade.com and click on the Cornerstone Assets Metals banner. This is the only company that I personally trust with this kind of thing. Click on that and sign up to get your free silver report today. One of the financial experts will speak with you to find out the best way to protect your savings going forward in these uncertain times. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Sharpening Report. I am your host, Josh Peck. Got some exciting news for you, uh, some updates and some things that I want to show you. Um, so first off, uh, today we're going to be talking about the Dead Sea Scroll calendar, the Essenes, uh, what their whole deal is. Um, and the reason why is uh, some people have been asking. Um, so for the past couple of years, uh, Ken, uh, Dr. Ken Johnson and myself have been putting together um, the uh, Dead Sea Scroll calendar, but in print form. So uh, Dr. Ken Johnson is the one that put the whole calendar together. I mean, he pieced stuff from Enoch and other Dead Sea Scrolls, and he he got it all put together. Um, all all I did was just come in with some very minor Photoshop skills and uh, put together the, the calendar in print form. And we have the 2023 calendar now available, which Christmas is coming up, makes a great Christmas present. Uh, people will absolutely love this. And I'm going to get into why the calendar is so important a little later. That's what this episode is about. But uh, first, I wanted to make mention of that. And I wanted to show you, if you are interested, how you can get a hold of it. The easiest way is just to go to dailyrenegade.com. And uh, I'll even show you. There we go. Minimize that. So uh, this is the Daily Renegade homepage right here. So you can go here and scroll down and click on this image. And that will bring up the Dead Sea Scroll calendar. Now we have we have different options available. So there's just the standard wall calendar, uh, which comes in a few different sizes. Um, yeah, so you can get just the regular wall calendar, extra large jumbo wall calendar, you can get the PDF version of it. Uh, and then you can even you can even pick which binder you want, which is pretty cool. Uh, but what's really exciting is this year, what makes this different is we have Ken Johnson's uh, circle calendar available. Uh, and just real quick, here's the, the uh, this is the poster calendar. that This just has the Dead Sea Scroll calendar and then 2023 on each side. 
but we have a version of that with what Ken Johnson did, this circle calendar, which is over here, and I'm going to show you in a second. Um, but what makes this special is this actually shows all of human history from the perspective of the Essenes. Uh, and I'm going to show you exactly how all that works. Well, I guess right now. Um, so at first glance, this might look confusing, but what you, all you got to understand is, uh, for right now, and I'll get more into it later, but the Essenes had a view of human history that spanned 7,000 years. And they split the this 7,000-year period into... Uh, ages into four different ages. Uh, the first age was called the Age of Chaos, and that was 2,000 years. Each age, as you can see right here, is 2,000 years. Um, age of Chaos was from creation to the call of Abraham. And then there was Age 2, the Age of Torah, which is another 2,000-year period. Uh, and that was from the call of Abraham to 75 AD. And then there's the Age of Grace, uh, which you see here, which is another age, and that's the age that we find ourselves in today, the church age, the age of grace, which according to the Essenes started and uh, technically started in 75 AD and presumably will go until 2075. And yes, we will be talking about that in a moment. And then after that is the millennial reign, and that one is a half age, a thousand year. It's a, it's a Sabbath. So they, they modeled their entire view of uh, the whole span of human history as we know it, uh, basically like the calendar week. Um, so there were seven 1,000-year periods, uh, and two of those equal an age. Now, what's cool about this is it doesn't only show you the ages, but it shows the other ways that the Essenes would break time down. So they, like how we have decades and centuries and millennia, well, they had Shemitahs, which were seven year, uh, a seven-year period. They had Jubilees, which was uh, a 50-year period. And they had Onas, which was a 500-year period. So there would be four Onas in an age. So if we look at the age of chaos here, Ona 1, Ona 2, Ona 3, Ona 4. These are 500-year periods. And then up here, you have the Jubilees. Uh, there, there would be 10 Jubilees in each Ona, because uh, a Jubilee is 50 years. So here, it says right here, Jubilee 1 through 10. So that's the first 10 Jubilees of human history in this first 500-year period. Uh, and then it just goes around like that all the way to the end. There will be a total of 140 if the Essenes are right and if we're understanding their calendar correctly. Uh, then, so that's what this ring is. This ring is just to show you what this is. And then above that, this is how this is how the Jubilees actually break down. So a Jubilee is a 50-year period. It goes 49 years, but then there's this 50th year, which is the Jubilee year. That's kind of kind of in the middle. And then you can see how the seven-year periods, the Shemitahs, break down uh, into these seven-year periods. So with this circle calendar, you really get all of human history. Now, what's really interesting is where, where are we at right now? Well, if the Essenes are correct, uh, if and if we're understanding their calendar correctly, we are... This, so this purple area here, this is the millennial reign. Look how close we are. We are at the 12th Ona. We are right there, second to last Jubilee. We only got one more. And that final Jubilee starts in just over a couple of years, just over two years now, 2025. <clears throat> and so it says right here, this is the Jubilee count that we're in, but we're in this one specifically. And you can look over here. 
And th- this is the exact year that we're in of that of that Shemitah. So that is really interesting and uh, pretty mind blowing. So this is so this would be 2023. Uh, I know technically at the time of this recording we're in 2022, but we're close enough. This is a 2023 calendar. Um, so this is 2023. So you got 2024, 2025. That is that would be the the end of our. Uh, second to last jubilee, and then we got one more jubilee after that, if the Essenes are correct. Um, And this also tells you the year as the Essenes would have seen it. A.M. meaning uh, uh, Anna Monday, which is uh, like year year of the world. But they they would recognize it as we are living in the year 5,948. Now, their calendar starts usually, it starts in March. So, 5948 would start in March. These calendars all start in March. Um, you have, the, the way that I have these laid out, you have, uh, let me see if it'll actually show you. Yeah. Um, so you have on the top, you have the, and it's not cut like that in real life, but um, at least it better not be, but <laughs> you have the, the, the start of their year, and then on the bottom, you have our actual calendar. So really, really interesting. Uh, and again, the, these make great gifts. People will absolutely love them. Um, and then again, we have that circle calendar as well. So uh, I wanted to I wanted to show you that and show you how all that that works to uh, to consider as a great Christmas present. Um, so I'll switch back over to me now. There we go. And, uh, yeah, so it's really exciting stuff. And I'm going to pull up my notes because we got some Essene stuff to talk about. Um, all right. So if you're not familiar with this topic at all, there might be some people joining for the first time and they haven't heard this first. Uh, you should go get a membership at dailyrenegade.com because I do have a really long, uh, in-depth teaching on everything with the Essenes Dead Sea Scrolls and the prophecies that they contain. I've got a, a whole whole bunch of teachings on there uh, made exclusive for members. So you can go to dailyrenegade.com and get a membership today. You can even uh, uh, try a week trial and see if you like it. Um, but first, so who were the Essenes? Well, they were formed around the same time as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So they're contemporaries of Jesus. They started a couple hundred years before that. But they believed that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had become corrupt, and they believed that they held on to the true Jewish faith, what it was always meant to be. You know, another interesting thing about that calendar is you can actually go through uh, the, the, the Bible using that calendar, and you can see how it all works. Like you can take um, the flood as a good example of that. Uh, you can count out all those day counts, like 150 days. Um, you can count that all out and see how it all works. You can do that with prophecy, too, which I detail uh, heavily in my book, The Lost Prophecies of Qumran, uh, which if you want to get that, skywatchtvstore.com is the place to go. Uh, and with that, you'll get uh, Dr. Ken Johnson's uh, book on the Essenes as well. Um, but they, the Essenes believed that the Pharisees and Sadducees had become corrupt, so they formed a settlement in Qumran. The, 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 the whole point there was that 
apparently sometime in the past, uh, the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the, the, before they broke up into these three different groups, um, the Jews at the time adopted a pagan lunar calendar. They were going through persecution. This was probably around the time, this was probably Antiochus Epiphanes when this happened. Um, uh, because if you, if you look at the, their ancient calendar, it aligns with the, uh, the, the lunar calendar that the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees adopted. Um, this is actually how they became Pharisees and Sadducees. It, it, it actually, and it aligns with the modern Jewish calendar today, which is why it's so different. Um, but they were under persecution. They basically made a deal. Like they said, oh, like, you know, Antiochus, okay, you can do your, you can do some of your Jewish stuff, but you got to adopt our calendar. And they agreed. Well, there were, there were some who agreed, some who didn't. The ones who were in power, you know, agreed, but the ones who didn't broke off and became the Essenes. They said, no, that is completely inappropriate. We're not going to adopt this lunar calendar. We're going to keep our own calendar. We're moving to Qumran. So they formed a settlement in Qumran. They wrote and kept the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, and they were still around during the time of Christ. They actually called the Pharisees the sons of darkness. So when you read, um, you know, like the war scroll or something, you'll see sons of light, sons of darkness. They considered themselves the sons of light and the Pharisees as the sons of darkness uh, because they adopted this pagan lunar calendar. Um, and then they uh, considered the Sadducees, they, they uh, called them the seekers of smooth things meaning they wanted easy lives. Uh, they, they didn't really believe in a whole lot having to do with the afterlife or anything like that. So it was like, look, this is the only life we get. Just follow along with what the government says. Just take it easy. Just do whatever. It doesn't even matter anyway. Uh, so they were called the seekers of smooth things in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, so there's, there was a time of 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament, and the Dead Sea Scrolls really helped fill that in. Now, I don't consider the Dead Sea Scrolls as canon. Uh, you, you know, this, this isn't, we, we shouldn't take these as inspired text from God. It's, it's good history, uh, and there's some really interesting stuff in there. There's prophecies in there. Um, but for his own reasons, God chose not to include those in our Bible. So we, we have to respect that. That doesn't mean that they don't have value, though. Uh, there, there's still a lot of value in there. There's a lot of prophecies. Um, they had a bunch of prophecies about the Messiah, and they, they knew exactly what to look for. Um, and, and, you know, we hear this a lot, like, oh, no Jew at the time knew what the Messiah was going to be. Well, there, there were some who did. That's why sometimes you read in the Bible, especially when they're talking to the Pharisees, you know, they can't convert these guys. It's, it's like really difficult to convert, con convert them. But then sometimes Jesus or the apostles uh, go and speak and thousands get converted all at once. Um, well, some of them were probably Essenes and they already knew what to look for. They already knew the time uh, was at hand. Uh, when, when Jesus said, you don't, you don't recognize the time of your visitation, he was talking to the Pharisees. Uh, the Essenes knew because they had it in their prophecies in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And again, I go into... Uh, Lengthy detail in that in uh, the Lost Prophecies of Qumran. But, uh, you know, you read the Old Testament and everything kind of makes sense. You know, you get what Israel's doing. You get what, what the Jewish faith was at the time and you, you understand it. But then you get to Matthew, everything's totally different. There's all these factions split off and everybody believes different things and no one knows what's going on. Well, um, a lot of that time in between the Testaments is still a mystery, but we do... We can fill in some blanks with the uh, with the Dead Sea Scrolls and then some other history, but 
Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls came into existence during that time, the 400 silent years, that's what it's called. So we can use them to tell us what happened during the two testaments. Um, before the Dead Sea Scrolls, we only had some scattered uh, history in things like the Talmud or the four, book, the four books of uh, the Maccabees and Josephus. That's all we had to tell us what happened between the Testaments, but the Dead Sea Scrolls have a lot more to say, which is super exciting. Um, another interesting connection is that John the Baptist may have actually had a connection with the Essenes. He, he might have been, he probably was an Essene himself, and actually he might have been, at the time, the, uh, the, the, the one who ran the School of the Prophets. So there's several reasons to think that this might be the case. So first, uh, the Essenes believed that they were to fulfill Isaiah 40, verse 3, about the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. It's all over uh, their documents, like the community rule, which is basically how they, how they run their community, and then the Damascus document. Uh, it, it's all over in there that they, they, were, they felt called out to Qumran to someday fulfill that prophecy about the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. Well, what did John the Baptist do? He fulfilled that. Um, he, he, was, he was the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, and that was, that was, again, that was a big part of why they went out to Qumran in the first place. And we find out that, again, John was fulfilling all that of that prophecy. There, there's another interesting tidbit of information. You know, I like what my, my good friend, Dr. Michael Heiser says, you know, if, if you're reading the Bible and you, you find something weird, it's important. <laughs> so we, we read this weird detail that John ate locusts. Really strange. And, we, you know, when you read it, it doesn't explain why. Well, at the time, so John had a diet of locusts. Uh, as I show in my book, locusts were not a common food in Israel at that time, except for in Qumran. Uh, where we actually find instructions in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's actually instructions on how to prepare locusts for food. So it, it could be that including that detail um, in, the, in the Gospels, including that detail was to say, like, he, he's in a scene. He, he's, he's one of these that eats locusts. Uh, they they might have been known for that. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, now, here, here's another thing. John's father worked in the temple, probably as a Pharisee, but for some reason, we don't see John following that tradition. Uh, now, the Essenes were known for accepting other people's children into their community and raising them as their own, kind of like an apprenticeship type situation. Uh, so, you know, imagine John's dad, he's working in the temple, this angel comes, he can't, you know, he's, he's freaked out, then he can't talk because he doesn't believe it for, for, for a while. Uh, he can't talk for a period of time. Uh, well, that's going to convince him that maybe the Pharisee way is not the right way. It, it would be like today, we have, you know, Baptists, Pentecostals, Catholics, Orthodox, you know, we got all these branches, all these denominations of Christianity. So, you know, sometimes we ask ourselves, well, which is the right one? It's not about which is the right one. It's just which is closest to what the Bible teaches. Um, so it would be like at that time, you know, they had the main three, Pharisee, Sadducee, and Essenes. There were others too, but those were the main, those were the big three. So when he saw that, saw that, that you know, the, the, the Messiah is coming and that John, John the Baptist, you know, uh, his son is, is going to um, fulfill that prophecy. Well, that, that would be a big clue. Okay, the Essenes were right. I guess I was wrong. Um so, it stands to reason he probably sent John to be with the Essenes uh, to to learn in their to learn in their ways, um, because again the Essenes were known for for allowing children to come and live with them to be to be raised up in the Zadok priesthood. 
so it seems like John probably went to go live with the Essenes uh, pretty early on. Now John was baptizing before Jesus comes on the scenes. Uh, come, come, comes on the scene, excuse me. And the Essenes were known for frequent ritual bathings. Uh, baptism was a big deal with the Essenes. It, it was different than how we do it. We do it once, you know, for faith, and that's it. Uh, they would do it ritually throughout, like throughout the day. Um, now. One of the most important things about the Dead Sea Scrolls is that this is lost Jewish history. And it's, it's one of the most important reasons that I wrote Lost Prophecies of Qumran. Right now, most Jewish people are either secular or orthodox, which uh, comes, the orthodox stuff comes from Pharisee teachings. And they don't, a lot of them don't even know that there's another option. Um, there, there is an extremely rich history full of honor and obedience to God that is completely Jewish. Completely Jewish. You know, if you if you try to witness to a Jew in Israel and try to bring up Christianity, a, a lot of times they they think of like, you know, they think of like the Holocaust, and they they don't have a good view of Christianity. They 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 have a mistaken one, uh, at least true Christianity, because they've been they've had a history of being persecuted by people calling themselves Christian. Now, of course, if you're calling yourself a Christian and you're persecuting a Jew, then you're either not really a Christian or you're just really terrible at it. But because uh, that nothing like that's taught in the Bible, but but in the New Testament, but they they don't they don't know that. So what we could do is just say, okay, well, just look, just set aside the Christian stuff for now. Just look at the Dead Sea Scrolls and read through those, uh, because if they do, the Dead Sea Scrolls are going to lead them to Christ. Because um, it, it points to Messiah over and over and over again. I mean, it tells the exact date that he's going to die, uh, and I mean, it, it just lays it all out. And you, you know, you, we could present this as this is a completely Jewish option. You know, it, it's not Orthodox or nothing. It's not Orthodox or secular. There's there's the Dead Sea Scrolls, and that will lead to Messiah if if uh, if they really take it to heart. Uh, that might be what um, brings revival, uh, which is a uh, so I said it's one of the most important reasons I wrote the book. I want to see revival uh, in in the Jewish population. I want to see Jewish people come to faith and know know the Messiah. Um, but unfortunately, again, most Jewish people today don't have access to their complete history. So if we can help the Jewish people reclaim their history, they'll be more likely to consider Jesus because the Essenes immediately knew who Jesus was when he came, and they immediately accepted him. Um. So I got in a little bit of this. Why did the Essenes use a different calendar than the Pharisees and Sadducees of the time? Well, again, according to the Essenes, the, the calendar, the one that I showed at the beginning of this video, um, they were using the original calendar that God gave to Adam. So if we're understanding it correctly, uh, then that that is the calendar that the Essenes used that, that God gave to Adam. The Essenes would say that the calendar of the Pharisees uh, was pagan and corrupt. And like I mentioned, apparently sometime during the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes, the Jewish leadership were required to use a pagan lunar calendar. Some went along with it, some didn't. But eventually the leadership in Israel did adopt the pagan calendar. And there's actually prophecies in the book of Jubilees. Jubilees was really important to the Essenes. There was, there was a bunch of copies of it found when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, uh, probably, I think, more than any other book. Um, at least, at least, at least of extra biblical texts, it was more than any other book. But it might have been, if I remember right, it might have been more than any other book. But uh, there were even prophecies in the Book of Jubilees that talks about when the when ancient Jewish leadership would abandon the real calendar. Uh, so they even saw that as a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, 
and the Essenes claim to have kept the original calendar. And, like I mentioned before, you can find this calendar in the Bible itself. You can take this calendar, put it to the test, and you can match up, uh, you can match up uh, all, all these day counts. So, uh, like I mentioned, if you try to map out the events of Noah's flood on any other calendar, any other calendar in existence, it doesn't work. You'll always be a day or two off somewhere. But on the Essene calendar, it matches up perfectly. Uh, same with the events of Moses and his meeting with God. The day counts do not work on any other calendar, but on the Essene calendar, it works out beautifully. I, I, I literally used the calendar, the print calendar, and counted uh, counted off days uh, for, for, for my study into this, and it, and it fits. Um, now, most relevant relevant to us today, I believe it is the Essene calendar that end times prophecy in the Bible is based on. Uh, in my book, in the uh, Lost Prophecies of Qumran, I go through several future prophecies from Daniel, Revelation, and others to show how these day counts line up perfectly with the Essene calendar, uh, with events even falling on feast days. Now, the feast days on the um, Essene calendar are a little bit different. They're, they're, they're slightly different days than on the modern Jewish calendar. So, you know, when a lot of people are saying, well, maybe the rapture is going to happen on the Feast of Trumpets, you know, maybe, but uh, if you were going to go with that, you'd probably want to know what that exact day is on the Essene calendar rather than the Pharisee calendar. Um, so I go through all that in the book. Um, so, like I said before, the way that it's broke down, you know, we have millennia, centuries, decades, and years. The Essene had ages, onas, jubilees, shemitas, and years. And uh, now, if that calendar is correct, and again, I, I, I get blamed for this in, in comment sections a lot. I'm not, I'm not setting dates. I'm, I'm putting out a possibility. I'm not saying exactly this is when Christ is going to return or any, anything like that. I say that in the book, too. I actually have a whole section on that. Um it's exciting. It seems like time is short, but we can't pinpoint an exact day. But if the calendar is correct, then the, the Essenes would say our age doesn't end until 2075. So does that mean that we won't see prophecy being fulfilled until then? Well, no. <laughs> um, think in terms of, of jubilees, 50-year period. So the next jubilee will start in 2025, and then go until 2075. That's going to be the last jubilee of our age. So we have a 50-year period. Um, now, we have a rapture that could happen at any time, for those of you who, who like me, believe in the pre-trib rapture. If you don't, that's totally fine. You're welcome here. I'm, it is nothing that I would fight about or argue about uh, at all. But, um, but uh, so we have the rapture. That could happen at any time. Um, but second, think of this. Think about the last jubilee in the age of Torah. Well, that would have been from 25 AD till 75 AD, uh, just two or three years after the temple was destroyed. Um, and that that couple of years, I go into the book what that's all about. But because um, there was actually the temple being destroyed wasn't the final wasn't the final end of the the, the Pharisees and the way that things were being done. Um, there was a couple more things that happened after that, but I detail that all that in the book. But anyway, so think about that from 25 AD to 75 AD. Well, Jesus came really early in that final Jubilee, didn't he? Uh, he, uh, he, he had already been born and it was probably around 29 AD 
where uh, where he started his public ministry, and then in 32 AD, somewhere around there, you know, give or take a year, whatever, but um, somewhere around there, and then uh, 32 AD when he would have been crucified. Well, all that happened really early in their final jubilee. Um, so it stands to reason it's at least possible he could return early in our final jubilee. Now, 29 is interesting because 2029... Uh, Tom Horn wrote a whole book called The Wormwood Prophecy, and he he wrote that he was writing that when I was first looking into Dead Sea Scrolls and Essene prophecies and stuff like that. And without knowing it, um, our research kind of correlated together. I ended up writing a chapter uh, of his book. I don't remember if it was The Wormwood Prophecy or The Messenger. Um, I'd have to look at it, but I, I wrote a the, the Essene chapter. I, I I wrote that uh, in that book for him, and. Um, uh, in that, I because he was saying uh, the Apophis asteroid that's supposed to make uh, a near flyby Earth in 2029, he, he's convinced that that's Wormwood. And it could be. Um, now, even if that is, it, it, we, we still can't really set a date because it comes in 2029, it comes in, uh, oh, what's the next one, 2030-something? Um, and then, I think 2036, that's right. And then, uh, and then again in 2068, um, <laughs> which is really interesting because there's sevens all over that. So from 2029 to 2036, you know, that's seven years apart, uh, 2068 to 2075 is seven years. So there's like seven years all over it. Um, and so... Uh, our, our research kind of correlated there because uh, he, he's, he's convinced that, that, that 2029, the, the Apophis asteroid, that that's going to be the middle of the tribulation. Um, and I, I do talk a little bit about that in my book as well, uh, which would put the start of the tribulation somewhere around 2025. Um, now, again, we're not, we're not setting a, a date because we don't know for sure. There's several options. We have a 50-year period to, to work for. And that's only if we're even understanding the calendar right. We, we might be wrong on all of this. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to admit that. And we, we do have to have, you know, we, we got to be careful when we talk about these things. I'm, I'm not saying exactly that something's going to happen. We don't know. Um, uh, and I, I even say in the book, you know, if I was a betting man, that the safe bet would be that nothing's going to happen, that the day is going to... 2025 is going to come and go with no incident. That that would be the safe bet um, because nobody's ever gotten it right when they've tried to predict this stuff. So I'm not trying to predict it. I'm just trying to relay what the Essenes said uh, to the best of my understanding. So, uh, so yes, we do have a 50-year period, um, but does that mean that we have to wait all the way till 2075 for a return of Jesus? Not necessarily. Uh, there's several different ways that this could pan out. Uh, first, you can have the rapture at any time. Um, if he did, if, if the tribulation and the return of Christ did happen early, which it could, um, Christ could come back. Well, how long is it going to take to cleanse the temple? Um, actually we do kind of have an answer to that. Uh, I, I think that's, uh, I, I gotta go and read it again, but one of those day counts, and I think it's the 2300 days. I, I think that the, the extra time was for, uh, for the cleansing of the temple, but, but how long is it going to take to build that city in Ezekiel that we read? 
the, the last few chapters of Ezekiel uh, describe this enormous, beautiful city and this huge temple. How long is that going to take to build? Because I don't believe that Jesus is going to come back and just clap his hands and everything's different. You know, some stuff will be like that. But I think uh, he, he I think he's going to work through us. You know, we're, we're going to help build it or or well, we'll be in our glorified body. So I don't know if we will, but the, the human beings that um, put their faith in Christ during the tribulation and are allowed entrance into the millennial kingdom. Maybe they build the city. How long is all that going to take? I could see that taking a few decades. Uh, plus, how long does it take to for everybody to learn what the new rules are? I mean, in Zechariah, it says that everybody's got to Everybody has to show up, or at least the, the, the leaders of the countries, not like every single person in the world, but like the, the representatives of nations and stuff, have to show up to tabernacles in Israel. And what happens if they don't? Well, they get judged immediately. Uh, they get plague or they get drought. Um, well, how long does it take to, to teach everybody the new rules? You know, how is all that going to pan out? I could see that taking a while. I mean, this is a big change. Jesus is back. You know, he's, he's, he's going to be ruling over the earth now. Uh, nobody can stand against him. He's going to be judging everybody like immediately. Oh, and even the judgments themselves. How long does that take to judge everybody? You know, the the, the rest of the non-believers who, who survive, there's probably not going to be a whole lot of them, but there's still be a lot. Uh, how long does it take to, to judge every single one? Um, so there's, there's a lot of things that are going to take, that could take a lot of time. So I could see if, if the tribulation does start that early and it very, it might, but if it does, um, I could see all of that taking that time until when everything is finally ready, then finally at 2075, we can start the millennial, uh, Sabbath, the millennial reign of Christ, because the church age was like that too. So technically, according to the Essenes, 75 AD would have been the time when, uh, the church age officially began, but we know that it kind of began before that, though, you know, because we have uh, we, we, the Pentecost, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you know, Christ's crucifixion. Uh, we would say the church age started around, you know, 30-something AD, um, not 75. But for everything to be put in place, for, for it to officially begin, you know, the temple had to be destroyed. There were still some prophecies that had to be fulfilled. Um, the, the pharisaical system had to be completely done away with, which that did happen in 75 AD. That's when, that's when it was decided that, okay, we don't have a temple anymore, so we can't do temple rituals. Uh, so prayer and just living good, that's good enough. Uh, and that's kind of what you got with modern Orthodox Judaism today. But uh, that, that started in 75 AD. So you can see how even though it kind of got a head start, and every age is like this, uh, even though it got like a head start, there was still time, there was like cleanup time. There was, there was time to clean everything up so it can actually officially begin. Uh, I, I think it, it could, it could happen that same way. You know, it, it, it could be that Jesus comes back early on in our final Jubilee, but there's some time for cleanup. And then at 75 AD, uh, or 2075 AD, excuse me, that's when we can officially begin, um, the, millennial reign. Uh, so that's one way it could pan out. It could also pan out that there's a rapture and then there's decades before the beginning of the tribulation. Some people might be thinking, what? That's insane. Well, we have to remember the, the rapture is not what begins the tribulation. Um, the signing of the covenant with many, uh, the Antichrist signing that covenant, that's what begins the tribulation. That's what officially begins the tribulation. So it could be that there's a rapture 
And then, and think about how deceptive this would be too. Like, because you read in Revelation, it's like they're seeing all these cosmic signs, but then in the very next chapter, they're right back to being unrepentant. What, what's going on? Um, well, imagine if if the rapture happened today. Most people that are left behind have heard of the rapture. I mean, there was even a CNN, a ridiculous CNN article about rapture anxiety and how, you know, we Christians, by talking about the rapture, we're just basically abusing people, which is just totally ridiculous. But, um, but so everybody's heard of it. Uh, and, and there is a huge misconception that the rapture is what begins the tribulation. Most non-religious people, most people who don't study this, even a lot of Christians think that. Um, so if the rapture happens, probably for a while, people might be thinking, oh my gosh, that's the rapture. Uh, and you'd probably have a lot of people get saved immediately. But now imagine though, you know, a year goes by, a couple years goes by, nothing's changed. Three, four years goes by, seven years goes by, no return of Christ, no fulfillment of prophecy. After a decade, uh, those, those people who, the, the people who remained in unbelief are going to think, the Christians who repented after the rapture, they're going to think, well, they're just being silly. That must not have been the rapture. That must have been something else. Um, and I'm sure they'll have answers for it. But uh, now imagine even longer. Now imagine 20, 30 years goes by. Now, now you got kids that were, that were born after the rapture grown up into adulthood. And, um, and so they don't have the same respect for that worldwide cataclysm that uh, somebody who lived through it would, which 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 would make a lot make it a lot easier for them to mock Christians who, uh, you know, became who became Christians after the rapture. You know, thirty years goes by. It's just like how um, I respect it, but I can't identify with World War II because I wasn't alive. Now I did live through nine eleven, so I, I have a different different perspective on that because I actually have memories tied to it. Like I remember being in school and hearing the news uh, during lunch. So um, th there would be more of a disassociation with it from people born after the rapture. Uh, so they wouldn't have the same kind of respect for it that those uh, born after would. They would have different perspective. It would be easier for them to not be repentant. Um, so you could, you could have that. You could have that go on for decades. And then let's say maybe 2068 is the start of the tribulation or 2050. You know, it could be a combination of some of these. Well, by then it starts to make sense why uh, they're so unrepentant because they've spent their whole lives, you know, hearing of the rapture, you know, but they, they wouldn't be called that. Probably not. It'd be called something else, you know, the, the great disappearance or something. Um, they've spent their whole lives on that. And th they would probably think that it was like the earth purging off there's probably going to be some kind of new age explanation for it. And another reason I think that too is because once the restrainer is removed, um, once the restrainer is removed, that's the Holy Spirit in us. You know, the, the restrainer is removed. He's taken out of the way. We get to go with him. Um, when the restrainer is removed, the kingdom of darkness has a foothold again, uh, which means all sorts of witchcraft and sorcery is going to be possible again, just like it was in the Old Testament. I mean, there are when Christianity started to spread, we get this in the book of Acts. Um, Paul uh, rebuked the, 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 the Oracle and she couldn't talk to, she, she couldn't talk to, well, I, think, I think it was Apollo. She couldn't talk to Apollo anymore. And the townsfolk were really angry about that. Well, that was a common thing in church history in the, in the early church as Christ, excuse me, as Christianity spread, 
there's uh there's ancient accounts from like Lactantius and stuff. There's ancient accounts of how oracles couldn't speak to their false gods anymore. Um, it, 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 it put a dampen, it like dampened the kingdom of darkness. It like tamped it down to, so it restrained, restraining is the perfect word for it. Um, and that's why we don't see the level of crazy, insane magic today that you read about in the old Testament, like the, uh, magicians of Pharaoh. Um, I don't believe that was just like parlor tricks. I think they actually were able to do that through the power of Satan. Um, but God was showing that obviously God's way more powerful than that. So these kids, these, these people, they're going to be born and be brought up in a world that now magic stuff is possible. They're going to assume that the rapture was just something like that. Like, you know, well, the earth was just purging out the bad guys, basically, because that's how they look at us, uh, is, is getting, getting rid of those who, who don't want to evolve. Because in New Age, I came out of New Age. Um, I, I spent years in New Age. Not in it anymore. I totally repent of all that. But there, there is a teaching that someday uh, the earth is going to want to evolve people, enlighten people, and those who... Uh, can't be enlightened or can't be evolved or who are unwilling, uh, will something will happen to them. They'll be purged somehow. Um, and so, I mean, that's just, that's how they're going to explain it probably. Well, all this magic stuff, was, this is us. This is, we're evolving. We're becoming enlightened. And those people that disappeared that are just gone now, they, they, they couldn't, they, they couldn't evolve. They couldn't, they weren't enlightened enough. Not like us. I mean, see how that can speak to their pride. They're going to think that this magic ability comes from them. Um, so you, you can see how deceptive that would be. And then, and then that's why it says they, they repented not of their murders and sorcery. Uh, so that, that's, that's another way that this could happen. Um, because another point, too, that I want to make, the Essenes believed that time in heaven worked the same as time on earth. Now, that doesn't mean that God himself is bound by time, but that time for, like, the angels and, and people in heaven, that it, it, it runs parallel with our own. It's the same time. It's time for everybody. And that's why they believed, this is actually why they rejected the, the lunar calendar, because they said uh, that it was incredibly important that the, 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 the rituals and the feast days and the sacrifices, they all had to be done on certain days, because the angels were doing similar things in the heavenly temple uh, in, 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 in concordance with, with human beings. Now, obviously, angels aren't sacrificing anything, but they're doing some kind of rituals up there. Um, uh, what they're doing, we get little bits of in Revelation 8, uh, how, how the angel had the censer and everything. That's the Day of Atonement. Uh, that if you if you compare that with Leviticus, and I do in my book, and I go through detail in, in uh, Lost Prophecies of Qumran, but um, the angel is performing the heavenly duties of the Day of Atonement, uh, and they they now we don't know the whole story of why, but it, it seems to have something to do with helping humans in service and and helping them, you know, doing something. Um, but we we read about that, so that's why they rejected the the calendar, but. Um, so time works the same. We know as Christians, we're at some point, we're going to be rewarded, right? Well, how long is that going to take to get through every single Christian? <laughs> you know, I mean, how, well, you know, it's hard to say because we don't know how long that process takes. We don't know if it's like, you know, a flash before your eyes and you just kind of remember everything in your life. And, and then you, you see your works there and some are burned and some not. We, or, or if it's like you'd sit down and talk with Jesus for a while about your life and, and kind of go through everything. We don't know how long that's going to take, but we know that, um, 
throughout the past 2,000 years, there have been a lot of Christians. So that I could see that taking decades. You know, we might get raptured, and there might be an angel that says, "All right, here's your ticket." And in in you know 27 years and three months and six days, uh, that'll be your that'll be your time. You know, at this time to to meet with Christ. We don't know how it, we don't know how it works. Uh, but that could allow for that if there is a gap of time between the rapture and the start of the tribulation. And, and the more I look into it, the more I, I'm seeing that as, as likely. Uh, if there is a long gap of time, that could explain this, this final jubilee, you know, how, how like a rapture type event might happen early on and then decades could go by with nothing. And um, may, maybe that's part of the strong delusion that, that God sends, you know, who knows? So th these are just possibilities. So... Don't let it discourage you that the Essenes believed that 2075 was the end of our age. That, for one thing, we don't know if they were right. We don't know if we're understanding the calendar correctly. Uh, we, we don't know. We, we could be a couple years off. You know, we, this is a lot we don't know. So we, it's impossible to say for sure. But if, even if all of that is right, don't let that discourage you because stuff can still happen really early on. And if the past age is any indication, the age of Torah, then we can expect that that it, it could be the same in our own age. Uh, stuff could happen early on in the beginning of our final Jubilee, which again starts very soon. We only got a couple years left. Um, so that that's that's just a different, a different, some different ways that this could pan out. Now, what I don't want to happen is I don't want people to hear this and get really excited about it and then start thinking that they need to become a scenes now or something. Um, now, because there is a danger in following the Essene way too closely because, again, they were human beings. It's They were the closest to the... Okay, it's like this. Jesus was not an Essene, all right? Uh, the Essenes were followed more closely to the types of things that Jesus was teaching, but they weren't perfect. Jesus wasn't an Essene. He came and instructed the Essenes, and the Essenes, by and large, accepted him more readily than the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they weren't perfect. Um, but the great thing is the Essenes were mainly the ones who accepted Jesus and spread the gospel. So we already come from the Essenes. Oh, yeah, and that's something that's really cool about them too. Uh, and then I'll get back to that. But there's this question. There's this, there's this question in, um, in history, you know, where did the Essenes go? They, it just seems like they just disappeared one day. Where did they go? It's not a mystery. They accepted the gospel and they took the Great Commission seriously and they went out and they preached to the nations because that was their new mission. And they left the they left some of the Dead Sea Scrolls behind. Um, now, why they did that, I don't know, but they probably took copies with them and just left some behind. But uh, but they 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 were they became Christian and they were doing the the Great Commission. That that's why they left. That's why they disappeared. They didn't like just disappear and vanish out of thin air. Some of them probably uh, got out of there before the temple was destroyed because there's obviously prophecies about that. So they would have known that that was coming. But by that time, most of them were probably already out preaching. Uh, so we come from the Essenes already. All right. So nobody has to go and become an Essene. Like we already come from them. We just being a Christian. You're you're already. Uh, of that family, uh, which is really cool to think about. Um, so we'd already come from the Essenes. But like like I said, the Essenes were not perfect people, as none of us are. So there is a danger in idolizing them to the point that uh, we begin to try to do their same rituals. Because Christians should act like Christians. 
And reading the Dead Sea Scrolls and seeing how Christianity began in the first place can help out a lot, but we shouldn't regress back to doing things the way that they were done before Jesus came the first time. Uh, the Essenes were waiting for the Messiah's first appearance. We Christians are waiting for his second. So we definitely have commonality with them. The Essenes are our origin story. But we are not called to follow the Essene way. We're, we're called to follow Christ. The Essene way did become Christian, but we would just call that Christian. Um, also, another point, uh, when they went to Samaria and... Um, the, the apostles that Jesus was with, which likely were Essenes, and I wrote about this in the book, but they said, hey, should we just rain fire and brimstone and just destroy this place? Because in, in when you read the Dead Sea Scrolls, I mean, they don't have everything exactly right. Uh, you know, they, 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 they were kind of big on hating their enemies, <laughs> uh, and Jesus told us not to do that. So they had some stuff to learn, too. Uh, so Jesus was like, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're, we're knock it off, <laughs> you know. Uh, so... Um, um, you can read that in their thing. They, they, they were big on oaths. Uh, they were big on, on kind of like hating their enemies. And we, we wouldn't agree with that today. So we don't want to regress. They, they were taught, they learned, you know, they repented of, of whatever they had to repent of. Um, and Jesus came and brought us an even, even better way than what the Essenes had. It, it was actually, it was actually a fulfillment kind of, of what the Essenes already had. The Essenes had bits and pieces of stuff. Jesus came and put it all together. So that's what we should be following. So um, that, you know, if you get the calendar, you don't need to follow the feast days. You, you can do it in remembrance. I mean, obviously not sacrifices and stuff, but if you wanted to celebrate Passover, you know, of course, do a Passover Seder. Uh, it all points to Christ anyway. As long as you're doing it like that, I think that that could be a really healthy thing. Now, well, and that brings up a question, you know, should Christians follow the Essene calendar? You know, in, in a sense of learning about it, so we know when things happened in the Bible and possibly even when things are going to happen prophetically, then yeah, absolutely, follow the calendar. But if it's in the sense of it being required to do the feasts and the festivals that are in the Essene calendar, then absolutely not. Um, you can do some of them, but even remember, in, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, Gentiles weren't weren't even allowed to do some of the feasts and stuff. They weren't allowed to participate in all of it. So you're not being like a super Christian by, <laughs> by following all of this stuff. It just doesn't work that way. Um, the, the feasts in the Essene calendar pointed forward to Christ. So we are not required to do them. However, if it's just for learning pur purposes and if you're not sacrificing sheep or something, uh, then doing some form of them you know, might be beneficial. Like I said, do, you can do a Passover Seder and you can show how all of the pieces, all the elements and stuff point to Christ. I think that's great. Uh, but we have to remember they, they were required to sacrifice animals and we are not. So there are things in the feasts that we are not permitted to do, which then follows, meaning uh, you're not required to do all of them and you're not getting some kind of extra spiritual boost if you if you follow all the feasts and stuff. It's, it's, it doesn't work like that. Um, and also many of the feasts, because uh, there are new feasts in the calendar, like Feast of New Oil, a lot of them we don't even know how to do them anyway because they've been lost to history. We have little bits and pieces in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but not much, not enough to actually perform it. Uh, the scrolls are way too fragmented. They're, they're too degraded. So yes, follow it in the sense of learning it and, and, and learning how all this, or using it as a study tool for prophecy. That's what I do. Um, but I would advise against applying it directly to day-to-day -day life and following it the way that the Essenes would have. Um, if, if, 
if they intended for us to do that, the Essenes, when they became Christians, they would have taught people that, and they didn't. Um, there, there's no instance of that. So, um, Daniel, I think this is interesting. Daniel 12.4 says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. I think we're living in that time today. And what's really interesting, I, I don't believe that this is a direct fulfillment of it, but it's, it's just interesting to think about this. Copies of the book of Daniel were found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. So I'm not saying that this is the main interpretation of that verse, but I find it interesting that literally the words of Daniel were shut up and sealed in jars, and they were discovered when Israel became a nation again. Um, and many say that that is the beginning of the time of the end. Um, and if you think about it, if you if you if you do the math, um, yeah. So when Israel was founded again, add 120 years, and then add a seven-year tribulation, and you get to 2075. Uh, and 120 years, you know, comes from Genesis. Uh, it, you know, my, my spirit won't always strive with man, for man is flesh. And uh, 120, you got 120 years basically. Um, so you know. It, that might not even apply. It's interesting to think about. I'm not saying that that's a direct fulfillment uh, at all, um, but it might. It, it, that might apply. Uh, now, the second part of that verse is interesting because when you drill down to it, the the um, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. When you really drill down to into that into the original language, it means that people will be going back and forth to scripture. So it means there will be a time when people will have reason to go back and forth to scripture, always learning more. So they go to something else, they learn something. Oh, I got to compare that with scripture. I do that with the Dead Sea Scrolls all the time. Anybody who studies that, any Christian anyway who studies the Dead Sea Scrolls does that. Um, going to and fro, back and forth between the scriptures, and knowledge is increased. So now that we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, our knowledge is increased. Uh, it fills in a lot of context of the Bible. It doesn't change anything in the Bible. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't even really add to it, but it fills in some of the context that we've lost because we're 2,000 years and half a world removed uh, from, from the time that this was put together. So our knowledge is increased now that we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we have a lot more context than we used to for how to interpret the Bible. Um, specifically, there are prophetic things in the book of Daniel that could not be understood without the Dead Sea Scrolls, specifically prophecy, uh, like the day counts and, and how to map this out on the calendar. We, could, we couldn't figure this out before this calendar. I mean, but now when you compare it, it just fits too perfectly to, to, to be wrong. I mean, it, it's, I, and again, I lay it all out in my book, but it's so exciting. So when most try to figure out the uh, Moedim cycles in Daniel's prophecy, you know, the time, times, and ha uh, half a time, well, for one thing, that's not years. Um, they're Moedim cycles, which means they're festival cycles, feast cycles. Now, yes, time, one feast cycle, would equate to a year. Times, two feast cycles, would equate to two years. But what about half? Now, when people uh, who know that that's Moedim cycles have tried to piece that together, have tried to figure it out, they're, they're using the seven festivals that most are familiar with, which you can't split um, seven in half. You know, you can't do half a festival. So what's with that half a Moedim cycle? Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls list 12 festivals. There, there's others that, that we're missing. 
And we would not have known that without the Dead Sea Scrolls. We wouldn't have known how to interpret that. But there's actually 12, so you can split that, 6 and 6. And I do that in the book, and I go through, I go through that whole prophecy, and I show how it just works so perfectly and beautifully uh, with the, the Dead Sea Scroll uh, calendar. Um, but, yeah, the time, times, and half doesn't make sense if there's only seven festivals because you can't have that. You know, you can't half that, H-A-L-F. Uh, it'd be four and three, so that's not really half. You can with 12. Um, so, and you can't have half a festival. Half a festival isn't a festival. Then it's not complete. It's not done. So that, that's just one example right there in the book of Daniel where that prophecy is, is something that we can only now understand that we would have had no way to, to know without this calendar. Uh, so that, that to me is just really exciting. Um, now, you know, most are familiar with the idea that the Jewish feasts and festivals all point prophetically to Jesus, but the Dead Sea Scrolls describe these extra feasts that aren't in the Bible. And what are these? Well, most know about the seven feasts that Orthodox Jewish people observe today, but the Dead Sea Scrolls, as I said, has, have as many as 12. And some of these new feast and festival days include first fruits of new wine, first fruits of new uh, oil, uh, head of the year, um, there, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. I, I, I dedicate a bunch of time in the book to it, Lost Prophecies of Qumran, but they're really interesting to study. We don't know a whole lot about these, but the little bit that we can piece together, we can see how they might fit, uh, how, how, how Jesus might have fulfilled those two. Um, some of them, at least. There, there might be some that he's still going to fulfill in his second coming. And, and again, it, it'd be interesting if he fulfilled six and he's still got six left to go. Um... Now, what about, you know, do these feasts point to something prophetic? It does seem that they would, but again, we don't know how all these feasts work. So we know how Passover works. We can see how the elements of the Passover Seder point to Jesus. And we would assume, we would assume all the feasts are like that, but the scrolls are so fragmented, we just don't know much. From what we can gather, it seems like the Festival of New Wine had something to do with marriage and weddings, possibly pointing to the church being the Bride of Christ or perhaps even the union of Jew and Gentile under Jesus, you know, something like that, maybe. Uh, the Festival of New Oil seems to have to do with prophecy, but we just don't know much of anything about the actual elements of the feasts. What does seem to happen a lot, though, is when you map out the day counts from Daniel and Revelation with the Essene calendar, a lot of prophetic events happen on some of these new festival days. Uh, so they're important, and I believe... Uh, information about them will be discovered. More information will be discovered in the future, but yeah, you can you can point those out and actually, a lot of prophetic events land on feast days on the Essene calendar. Um, and in the book, I try to piece together a prophetic timeline. It's still it's still a work in progress. I, I got I got the foundation done in the book, and I've gotten some more work done since that time, but. Uh, there's there's still some more to unpack, but um, Lost Prophecies of Qumran, if you're interested in a prophetic timeline of like the tribulation, that's a great resource. That, that should help out a lot. Because first I discovered, you know, at this moment in time, obviously, it's impossible to know for sure when the rapture will happen or when the tribulation will start. So we don't know. So in the book, I provide several possibilities, but I don't set out to prove an exact day of any of this stuff. 
But so that being said, I did discover that the day counts and the festival cycles from Daniel and Revelation all seem to work absolutely perfectly on the Essene calendar. Uh, they also help solve some secondary debates that we as Christians have from time to time. For example, do the two witnesses come in the first half or the second half of the tribulation? Uh, if we believe the Essene calendar, they have to come in the first half. Otherwise, the prophetic day counts do not work because um, the Essene calendar has what's called a leap week. So every five or six years, they add a week to reset the uh, solstice or whatever. Um, I, I, ma I map it out in the book. But when you have a seven-year period, there's going to be a leap week in there. And uh, and when you, when you map it out, you, you find out that the two witnesses must come in the first half because that leap week throws off the counts if it if if they come in the in the second half. So um so I mean so that, that that's something that we we can now know, which is really interesting. Alright, I think we're gonna call it good here for free. Um now, if you want to get the rest of this episode, and we're going to be talking about some really interesting stuff, so you're going to want the rest of this episode. If you want the rest of this episode, head on over to dailyrenegade.com and get yourself a membership. It is only $10 a month or $100 a year. If you can afford to do it, I suggest doing the $100 a year. Hey, it makes a great Christmas present. Get somebody a membership. Um, I recommend doing the $100 a year because uh, it's technically cheaper. If you do it month by month, after a year, you'll be spending $120. But if you do the year, that's that's only 100 So it's like 20 bucks off. It's kind of like getting a couple months for free. Um, so, yeah, uh, dailyrenegade.com. Get a membership. Uh, and uh, you, you, can, you can even try a week trial if you want to try it out, see if you like us. Uh, I will mention, again, just real fast, we, we still need to get the website fixed. And it, it's not that it's broken. It's just some people on su some browsers, not everybody, not every browser, some people on some browsers, what happens is they'll log in and then it, it just takes a minute for it to bring them into the website. That's really the only issue. Um, there's other things that I want to improve on. Like I don't like that our videos don't have hyperlinks. So if I want to, if I, if somebody asks me, where can I find this video? I can't send them a link because it's just a playlist. So we're, we, we're trying to raise money to get all that fixed. We do that with memberships. So the more memberships we get, the, the closer we are to being able to um, do that. But just if you log in and if it looks like it takes you back to the login page or if it's just a white screen, just let it sit for a minute. It will bring you in. It's just uh, it's because we have so much content <laughs> on the website that the server like literally can't keep up with it. So we are going to get all that improved. Uh, we're going to get all that fixed. For you guys, but um, but just in the meantime, if that happens, that that's what you do. Just let it sit for a second, and it'll it'll bring you in. And then after that, everything's fine. It doesn't do that with every page. Uh, it just does that at login. So, um, but that's really the only downside. Uh, the upside is plenty of content that that there is to watch. There's lots of free stuff. We got free movies on there, free documentaries. Documentaries I've never even released in DVD form ever. Uh, I have on there. Um, just lots of great stuff. We have like eight hour long studies even like with Tim Alberino on his book uh, Birthright. We did an eight hour long uh, study into that. And that's on there. I've done 
hours and hours of, uh, you know, series on the Essenes and Dead Sea Scroll, stuff we're talking about today on the calendar. Uh, if you want more information on that, it's all there. DailyRenegade.com is the place to go. So uh, we would we'd love to have you. Please get a membership. That would be amazing. We'd love to have you as part of the family. So, um, so you can get the rest of this episode there. Once again, DailyRenegade.com. Uh, so uh, for... For everybody viewing for free on YouTube, Rumble, or wherever, uh, thank you. Uh, well, members, just again, hang on the line, and it'll just it'll roll right into the rest of the episode after a commercial or something. But uh, for everybody else, thank you so much for watching, and uh, please subscribe. <laughs> and until next time, take care and God bless. Well, uh, I do want to just initially say thank you to everybody who has supported us through Nathan's journey. Um, for those who aren't familiar, maybe you're just joining for the first time. For the past few years, my son has, uh, my very young son, he's eight now, but he's been dealing with cancer and remission, and now he's in. Um, um, he, he's seeing a holistic health practitioner to cleanse his body from all the damage that the chemo did, which is actually really, really extensive. So, uh, the thing about that is it's not covered by insurance, of course, because it's real medicine and insurance doesn't have a stake in that apparently, but, uh, so we have to pay that out of pocket. Um, so we want to thank everybody who has helped support us. Uh, not not only through prayer and just general love and encouragement, but also financially. It's been a huge help. Um, for those, if you want to know how you can help, if you want to help Nathan, um, best way to do it is uh, just look in the links in the description below. I believe there should be a PayPal address there. Christina posted something on my wall about all this. Uh, and I'll just read it because it gives all the information on how to donate if you want. But she wrote, Josh and I are so thankful for everyone over the years who has been there for us regarding Nathan. He is alive today because of all your generous support. Nathan now goes in for a holistic, completely natural and clean detox every week to undo the leftover damage done by the years of chemotherapy on the long road of recovery, which as you can imagine is very costly. Real holistic, all natural medicine tends to be. Insurance, of course, doesn't cover any of this, but like we tell Nathan, we refuse to put a price on his health. Nathan is getting better every day and loves his new natural health regimen. If you feel led to help us with Nathan's detox, we would be extremely grateful. The best way is either through PayPal or Cash App, and we also have a P.O. Box listed below, and of course, we value everyone's prayers. Thank you so much for helping keep our little guy around. Nathan loves you all. And then the PayPal link is paypal.me slash Josh Peck Disclosure. All one word. J-O-S-H-P-E-C-K-D-I-S-C-L-O-S-U-R-E. Uh, and then the cash app is the dollar sign Josh Scott Peck. All one word. J-O-S-H-S-C-O-T-T-P-E-C-K. And then our P.O. Box is Josh and Christina Peck. P.O. Box 396 Crane, Missouri 656. Three. Uh, the easiest way is through PayPal, but um, I just wanted to get that out of the way first, and I wanted to thank everybody who has helped and uh, who's kept us in prayer um, and uh, who's been able to help financially as well. Concerning the economically unstable times that we live in, it is a great idea to convert some of your savings into real money. Now, there is a big difference between real money and what we call money, which is actually just currency. So our dollar is currency which fluctuates. Real money, on the other hand, like silver, for example, 
is a store of value over time. The best way to think of it is like this. If you had saved $1,000 in cash back in the late 60s, the late 1960s, that $1,000 would still be $1,000 technically, but it would buy you significantly less today due to inflation. Now, if you had saved that same $1,000 in silver, back in the 1960s. Today, it would be worth around $28,000. So one of the best ways to protect your purchasing power is in real money, more specifically, silver. You can buy and have the metal shipped discreetly to your door, and what most people don't know is that you can actually convert your IRA or even a 401k into physical silver, rather than having all of your life savings tied up in the paper fiat system which is subject to hyperinflation. Go to dailyrenegade.com and click on the Cornerstone Asset Metals banner. This is the only company that I personally trust with this kind of thing. Click on that and sign up to get your free silver report today. One of the financial experts will speak with you to find out the best way to protect your savings going forward in these uncertain times.